Today, the year reaches its closing. Not the ordinary calendar year, of course, but the circle of the church year. A year that begins with Advent. Next Sunday, we will enter again into that holy season of waiting and watching for the coming of Christ, which will carry us into Christmas and the Epiphany. In the springtime, we celebrate the season of Lent and Easter and Pentecost, and then there's this long, long series. The Sundays after Pentecost, a season often just called ordinary time. A season that's carried us through summer and fall and to this day, which the prayer book simply calls the last Sunday after Pentecost, but is often commemorated as the Feast of Christ the King, or to be more gender inclusive, the Feast of the Reign of Christ. You know, most feast days look back to a past event in the life of Jesus, the Nativity or the Transfiguration something that happened on a certain day back then. But the kingship of Christ is different. In a way, this is the feast of something that hasn't fully come to pass yet. As we look ahead to the great day when history is brought to a climax and all things in heaven and earth are made one, when, as the collect, the prayer for today says, when all are united under Jesus's most gracious rule. But of course, it's also true that Jesus is already the king. He has been the ruler of the universe since the moment the universe was made. He was the ruler when he was a tiny newborn. He is today and will be forever. In today's gospel reading, we see the paradox of the ruler of the universe in the moment when he is perhaps most powerful of all and appears the least. Paul calls him the firstborn of all creation, the very image of God we heard in the letter to the Colossians today. But here the image of God is hanging on a cross. The firstborn of all creation is being executed as a criminal. over and over in his ears. If you are, if you are, if you are the Messiah, save yourself and us. If you are the king of the Jews, come down. If you are the chosen one, save yourself. It's as if his story has come full circle, back to the beginning after his baptism, when he went out into the desert and faced his first test, when Satan tempted him with almost these very same words. If you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread to feed your hunger. If you are the son of God, bow down to me, and I will give you the whole world as your own. If you were the son of God, leap from the temple, make a spectacle of yourself, inspire the people to follow you, and put God to the test. If you are. With these words echoing again in his ears. In the end, just as in the beginning, 
the temptation is really the same. To misuse his power. Puts himself first, whether by feeding himself in the desert or climbing down from the cross, to turn his divine authority to his own purposes. They say power corrupts. And so often that seems self evident from the hallways of Washington to the trading floors of Wall Street. So many of the headlines that we read, so many of the conflicts that tear us apart are about the misuse of power. It's so easy to see examples of power misused that sometimes it's no wonder that conscientious people find it hard to talk about power or to admit they have power or to try to get power because power can just seem like a synonym for abuse or domination. But power isn't always a bad thing. Actually, power is a good thing. Power is the ability to get things done, to change the world in some way, the capacity to make something happen. God's good creation, power can be turned to good and for evil. We ascribe power to God every Sunday when we say the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours. Or holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might. And so the question is always, what kind of power are we talking about? Are we talking about the power to create or the power to destroy? to do harm or power to heal, power to enslave or power to set free. Here at the cross, Jesus shows us God's power. And he shows us exactly what St. Paul will mean a generation later when he writes that God's power is made perfect in weakness. Because what looks like weakness can be the truest power. As here when Jesus shows his power, not by destroying his enemies, but by praying for them and forgiving them. Here under the heel of all the power of the empire, Jesus shows a greater power that no Caesar has ever had as he welcomes a thief into paradise. In the words of Martin Luther King, Jesus meets physical force with soul force. He meets the power of Caesar with the power of God. Here in church every Sunday, we proclaim our faith using the Nicene Creed, which is an old and venerable creed from the fourth century and unites us with Christians from all times and all places. But in the first generation of the church, Christians didn't have that creed yet. They found ways to articulate their faith, and one of the first creeds they came up with, one of the first ways of stating their faith, was very brief. Jesus is Lord. They would say, Jesus is Lord. 
And it was an affirmation of what they held to be most true about the heavens and the earth. And it's an affirmation with a double meaning, at least. Because the people of Israel used that word Lord to refer to God. And the people of the Roman Empire used that word Lord to refer to Caesar. And so to call Jesus Lord was not just to give him a fancy religious title that sounded nice. It was to put him in the place of Caesar and in the place of God, both at once. It was shocking. It was risky. Some of the early Christians went to the death of a martyr for refusing to worship Caesar. Because for them, Jesus was Lord and there could be only one. And if Jesus was Lord, that meant Caesar was not. Down through the centuries, it has been the same. In the early 1800s, a young enslaved woman named Isabella found Jesus. And she took on a new name for herself, Sojourner Truth. And she began to go out and preach. And her preaching galvanized the abolition movement. She came to know that Jesus was Lord. And that meant that the white man was not. Or rather, the white man could not be master. Because there was only one true master. In the 1940s in Nazi Germany, a Lutheran pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer helped to found the underground confessing church in a time when the official church had embraced Nazism. He would go on to be executed for his role in the plot against Hitler. In Bonhoeffer's time, the word was Führer, which meant leader, a word claimed by Hitler. But for Bonhoeffer, there could be only one leader. Christ was Lord and Hitler was not. In 1977, Janani Luwum, the Archbishop of Uganda, stood up against the dictator Idi Amin for the disappearances and killings that were happening under his regime. In that place and time, a gentler word was being used because Amin simply called himself the president. But he was a lord. And once again, Janani Luwum swore his allegiance to a different president and a different lord. There are countless others through the centuries whose obedience to Jesus, whose obedience to the true king, the true ruler, has led them to renounce the other kind of ruler. Sometimes they've suffered for their faith, and sometimes they have even died. But whatever you call their witness and the changes it has brought to the world, it certainly isn't weakness, it's power. And it's a power that is more powerful than coercion. It is more powerful than the strongest weapon because it's a power grounded in the same love of Jesus that he offers to the thief on the cross. Jesus is the ruler of all. And the way he rules is by being forever on the side of those who are outcast, those who are condemned, those who are on the margins.
He's not the ruler despite being this way. He's not a very powerful ruler who happens to have a soft spot for people without power. Being on the side of those without power is precisely the way that Jesus is the king. And this is a mystery. But through him, power is flowing into the world. A power that flows into us when we are baptized in his name. A power that surges in us every time we come to his table. And a power that through us is meant to transform the community and the world around us. To shape it that much more, a little bit like the kingdom of God. Jesus is the source of power. And he desires to give it away. And that doesn't make him less powerful, but more. And he will not stop sharing that soul power, that love power, until it fills the entire universe. May we be filled today with that power. The power of the cross. The power of the resurrection.